Hello everyone, this is Leonard van der Viel. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Travis Defense Data, and you are listening to the App Guy podcast. The App Guy podcast, straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. I'm your host, it's Paul Kemp. Uh, so this is the uh, App show where we try to help app entrepreneurs and anyone who is interested in the whole field of uh, apps and entrepreneurship and startups and just really living a a purpose-filled driven life Uh, and so what I do is go around the world and tap into the best experts that I can find who can really deliver some interesting uh, advice for us. Uh, Do stay tuned to this episode because we are going to cover a lot of different topics uh, most notably why to leave um, your corporate for a startup and uh, lots and lots of other stuff. So let me introduce today's guest. His name is Sandeep Jain, and he is the CEO and founder of Layla Apps. He's got a really interesting story to tell us. So Sandeep, welcome to the App Guy podcast. Thank you, Paul. I really love your podcast uh, in the sense that I have learned a lot from it. And I hope what I'm going to share hopefully helps your audience as well today. Yeah, well, I want to uh, say I'm really thankful for you coming on as well. And, and uh, I know that we've got some really interesting topics to go through. And I think that would be fascinating for uh, listeners of the Apps Tribe. Uh, so, you know, let's start, I guess, with um, your story, Layla Apps, first of all. Uh, Layla Apps, tell us what Layla Apps is and, and what it does. Uh, so we have actually two apps on the App Store. Uh, first is a Leela podcast app. And the second one is Leela Kids podcast app. So my story is <laughs> I was not planning to start a company on podcasting. My, my, what I was investigating was to start a company on online marketplaces. And then a friend suggested to me to listen to a podcast episode from Andreessen Horowitz, uh, their podcast called A16Z on online marketplaces. I was like, okay, look, I'll listen to that. And first of all, it took me quite some time to find that particular episode on the podcast app and have the iTunes standard podcast app. Um, but when I started listening to it, it was exactly what I needed to listen because here was a VC who was invested, uh, in and out in this space. And they were giving a framework or an early stage founder like me to, to sort of frame our thoughts best. Um, now when I finished listening to that, what really stunned me there was, you know, I live in Silicon Valley and I was really not aware that this content existed. Um, and like my knowledge sources are going to the search engines, uh, looking at business magazines, uh, analyst reports. But that podcasting has this interesting trove of information, both for personal and professional use. To me, that sounded like a real big opportunity to tackle. And that was my entry into the podcasting universe. Yeah, and that's why I love having you on the show. I mean, my show has been running for a long time now, your episode 534. Uh, but what I love is that you were inspired by one episode. And, uh, you know, there's so many different uh, wonderful resources out there. And, and I cannot remember in my entire life being that inspired when listening to the radio you know, or like just watching a TV program. But you're right, podcasting has this impact on, on you. So what happened after listening to that episode? So I, uh, so first of all, the idea struck in my head that, hey, this is this information that nobody else has, or most people are not aware of that. And, you know, there have been studies on it. Uh, Edison Research says 40% of Americans are not listening to podcasts. I talked to my my friends and folks that I know in Silicon Valley about I would say 5% of those listen to podcasts. Um, and then I looked into the industry, uh, the product. So most of these apps, the podcast apps, I found were 
listings of channels and shows. And it's, to me, it was like what internet used to be before Google came along. Like you have to go to the Yahoo search engine in the directory, you know, the right place, and then you have to look for things. And then Google came along that, look, just tell us what you're looking for, and we'll just tell you what is the right resource there. And to me, I found the similar problem in podcasting. Um, but the second is for me to leave the job and start working on this full time, there needs to be money that could be made. So my two earlier observations were um, like the music companies like Spotify's, Pandora's, um, SoundClouds, you know, they, they have a challenging business model in my mind because they have to pay licensing cost at the back end every time you and I are using their app, right? Because they have to pay the creators. In the podcasting universe, most, I would believe 95% of the content is free. So which means the apps or the platforms are not incurring any licensing cost when they're playing the content. So that was a big plus for me um, as a business to run. Uh, the second is I looked at the uh, the online, uh, the radio ads industry. I think that's about $18 billion in the US. And podcasting, I believe, is around 200 to $300 million industry annually. So for me, that's a big, big opportunity for growth. And then I needed to find out, can this growth be driven by Leela Labs? Is this a technology problem or something else? And in my mind, it's a technology problem. And that's when I decided to really leave my job. <laughs> well, let's talk about that part of your journey. Right? I always love tapping into how uh, entrepreneurs like yourself actually have the courage to leave a, you know, a very stable salary. So talk us through your, like how you actually did that. So I had this startup, so I'm middle-aged. I'm not like a, a 20 year old getting out of the grad school and having tons of ideas, can sleep on the sofa and work on the startup. So I have a family, I have a wife and I have a child and I'm middle-aged and I'm living in Silicon Valley, which means the salaries are really high. <laughs> so it was a really tough decision to do that. Uh, though if I look back, I would have done it slightly differently. And 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 here's my, my theory on this now. See, when you're working, um, you have a lot of money that you're getting through the salary, but you don't have a lot of time because you're doing a full-time job. When you leave your job, that equation changes. Like you suddenly have a lot of time, but you do not have this incoming money. So the right way in my mind to, to leave your job is if you're convinced about a particular idea, then spend at least... I would say 20% to about 75% of your salary in your idea that you are working on. So let's say for an engineer in the Silicon Valley, you would be paid, let's say 120K annual salary. Your monthly salary is $10,000. So 20% of that is $2,000 and 75% is $7,500. So take aside that money from your incoming paycheck and invest in your idea. Maybe it's for paying the contractors to get your app done or your mobile website done. Uh, maybe this to get the designers to get your logos and whatever. And you will attend to overspend because you're not trying to maximize or optimize every dollar, so to speak. But what this gives you is when you have incoming money into an idea, there is a momentum in, in your idea in the sense that you are seeing a product being built. Now, maybe it takes more money, a little bit more time, but you're putting your resource that you have, which is money, to the best use. So that once, let's say, maybe in three, four months, you see some sort of traction, then you can leave your job and work on this whole time. Uh, leaving the job just based on an idea in your head, I don't think it's a, <laughs> it's a wise financial decision, which is what I did, by the way. 
well, it's what I did as well, Sandeep. You know, Sandeep, in all these episodes, that is one of the best pieces of advice about leaving a job. And it's you've almost uh, boiled it down into a very scientific formula. Uh, but certainly it's, it makes a lot of sense. But I guarantee not a lot of people are actually following that advice. They just go on a, a feeling or, you know, like me, I was unhappy. I needed to do something else and like just quit. And I now regret that. I wish I'd followed this advice. <laughs> Uh, as, so in terms of your story then, you, um, you did actually uh, quit. And, uh, why did you uh, go in with someone else? What's the importance of having a co-founder? So yeah, like my story was I, I left my job and I worked on this full time myself. And I knew that I wanted a co-founder, but I did not spend time to do that until about I was 10 or 11, 11 months into that. Uh, that's once again a thing that you should not be doing, or I would advise anybody not to do that. <laughs> so my background is in tech and product. So even if I hadn't coded for the last five years, I thought I could do it. And I did end up doing it. The And my theory was, look, it'll take me quite some time to find a co-founder. And once I've left my job, I would rather invest every minute of my time in building the product that I thought about. That's a fallacy. That's a wrong thing to do. I think your every minute needs to be spent in growing your company. Product is there, but you need to think about the company. That's the role of the CEO of a company. Now, a company is being is built on multiple people, not just a single person. And the only way to attract multiple people is through capital, right? Now, so you would have to have a co-founder no matter what. It's not a if question, it's a when question. And the problem in hiring much later is that this person has not gone through the decisions that you have to make on a daily basis of what to do and what not to do. Uh, so this person will be joining you late in the game. They would probably take similar amount of equity that they would have taken earlier. And what you just lost on was the value that they could have delivered to your company from day one. Uh, the challenge is it takes time to find a co-founder, I would say at least one to two months. It is not a phone conversation thing. It is not like, hey, let's meet on a coffee thing and I like you. You seem to be the tech guy that I needed and let's work together. There needs to be a dating period, which means I would highly, highly advise your audience to do, if you're thinking of somebody as a good co-founder, just figure out a few tasks that you can work together on without this equity and this money business. Just get a feel of each other. Do you like to think alike? Do you like each other when you're disagreeing on things. Um, and once you pass all these 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 milestones or, or barriers, then only start into that conversation of about equity and let's work together. Uh, I've had too many of uh, these bad steps, just, uh, you know, do you meet somebody, you have a kumbaya feeling and just let's let's just do it together. That's not how you build a company. That's not how you build a professional relationship. Uh, that's not how you marry somebody, <laughs> which is the analogy that I use for myself when I'm building the company. It's like a marriage. So you, you got to, to wet each other carefully. Yeah, and we've, we've, had, a, we've had many past episodes where the, the, one of the biggest challenges of a startup is uh, founder disagreement as well. So you, you're right to call it a marriage. And, uh, you know, having a good dating period is probably important because then it uh, tries to avoid uh, a, a messy divorce. <laughs> and so um, you mentioned uh, coffee and uh, you know, having these coffee meetings. Uh, and many of us do have like these uh, little chats. And I wondered how you make these um, 
productive because often they are they're just chats and they seem to go nowhere. Right. So, and I used to be on that side of things as well, where I'm living a corporate life and I need to get out of the office and I do need a coffee. How about just meeting somebody on coffee for that? The problem with that is, uh, you know, at least from my perspective as a startup founder, I don't have a lot of time. I don't have a lot of um, uh, money. So all of these, all of my time and these coffee meetings need to be productive. Um, and once you leave your job, you know, there are people emailing you, hey, let's meet up for coffee. It's been a while. Um, I think as a, as a founder, and I quickly realized that is, you know, you want to be polite to your friends as well. But you need to quickly think that all these meetings are at least one hour of your time and time is money for you as a founder. So if you are meeting somebody, make it a goal oriented, send a, not like an agenda keyword or something like that. Uh, just say that, look, here is what I would like to discuss or get out of the meeting. Do not, I think that the social meetings of let's just get together and have coffee is just a sheer waste of time. So unless, you know, somebody is trying to, a founder is trying to get out of their daily work routine and have some relaxation or that coffee shop, coffee thing, you know, that's okay. But if you really want to extract something out of this, do set that expectation with the person that you're meeting, that this is what you want to get out. And um, I, I was getting some, you know, repetitive things from somebody. And if you don't reply or if you reply late, people get an idea that, you know, you're probably too busy. And I think you are. <laughs> you know, you mentioned you mentioned something there about the transition of uh, working in a, a corporate environment, and and you know you don't worry too much about having coffee meetings because you know it's not really um, your expenses, and yet there is a culture shock when you transition to this other side of life where you then are responsible for your income and you're supporting your family. Uh, any advice on how to get over the culture shock of jumping into a, a, your own startup from a corporate environment? Right. So I, I think first for me, it was, I, I call it a culture shock um, in the sense that you expect, you know, when you leave something behind and you're, you're working on an idea, you want validation. Right? That's the number one thing that you are looking for as a founder, either from customers, your family, and even from your friends that, hey, what you're doing is the right thing, just keep on moving. And it's not like uh, they should not be telling you what your blind spots are, but there is a, what you look for is somebody who has got your back. That, hey, look, whenever you need help, we will be there. Uh, not just for the saying it, but they will be there. The, the, the challenge is, um, I think what happens is some people do not help you the way you think they should have helped you. Um, and when that happens, it, it kind of hurts emotionally. And when you are doing your own company, you know, at, at my age, uh, it is, you need all that support and it's emotional. It's, it's all that kind of support from your friends, uh, and the people that you trust. But I think it's, a, this is sort of thing that will happen to people where, where some people would not help you the way you think they could have helped you. So it's just being emotionally prepared. <laughs> that this is going to happen. It's not whether it's going to happen. Um, so if you have that thing in your mind, I did not when I started. I thought you know, everybody's going to help me in, in this. Uh, but when people did not, it was it was tough. It was hard. Um, and what I decided after some point was that, look, I will put people in two categories. <laughs> Maybe it's not 
the right way to put it or say it, but at least this is how I put that in my mind. The one is the people who really care about me as a person and who are invested, not in terms financially, but invested in me being successful. The second is the people who are just drive-by friends, so to speak, <laughs> uh, who are there just because of your social strata or whatever, but they're not, they do not care about my success or my company. And I quickly decided where to spend most of my time and to ignore, ignore the rest. I don't know if that makes sense, but... You know, I'm really um, like connecting with you here because I had the same kind of feeling. Uh, a lot of people, um, you know, are in your professional life because of your work. Uh, you know, all the, all the all the friends you think you have in the in the in the company. They, as soon as you're on the other side, that's it, gone. You know, you're out the you're out the family, <laughs> and uh, uh, you have to get used to that. And it was really hard for me uh, the, initially to have that adjustment. And then realize that, oh, you're on your own and you've got to meet these new like-minded people who share your values. And, um, and that's why I jumped into podcasting eventually, because that's where I've met like-minded people, not in the, uh, you know, these circles I was going around in, in my previous career. Uh, so I'm really feeling for you here. So one of the big challenges is getting PR and getting out there. Uh, I know that you mentioned in your email to me uh, that you had a PR hack. I, I wondered if you could share um, how do you PR hack yourself? When I was uh, releasing the apps and you know, there's a lot of blogs that I looked at as to how to get attention of media, uh, yeah, unpaid media to be in particular. And there's a lot of articles on that. And I did read up most of them, I would think. Um, and he here is what I'll tell you my strategy was. Um, may not be different from some others, but maybe, but I'll just share share with you. So my business was in podcasting. So I did a Google search and Google alerts for all the reporters who are talking about podcasting in the last one year. I made a list of them. There's, uh, you can get their emails. It's not that difficult. There are multiple tools out there. One thing that I did not know, I realized months later was most of them are on Twitter. Well, I knew that they were on the Twitter, but this is one thing that I didn't know. Most of them have their DMs open, which is direct messages. Now, I'm not a social media wizard or whatever. Um, I sometimes take the Facebook. So I'm still discovering all these new things. And what I found was that if you DM a reporter with a small text, which really applies to what they have done, um, they will correspond back with you in some ways. And you have to ping them once or twice so that they, they do it. Um, but that really helped me. Um, so that's one. The second is I did not spam any reporters, which means that if you're a reporter covering food in, in a publication, you would not see my email. Like it has to be highly relevant. And that's, a, I think, a discipline I would say people need to maintain. The third is uh, the subject line. That's all you have got. And I think most blogs talk about this. Uh, so I'll give you an example, a concrete example. So Leela Kids app. This is an app where kids can... And enter their age and the category of what they want to listen and it starts playing stuff. And we were the, the world's first podcast app for kids. We are actually. So I said, look, what is the subject needs to be for this Leela Kids app? So we started with world's first kids podcast app. And um, we got a few clicks on that. And then I later realized that it is maybe too boastful. People are not, reporters look at it and say, maybe this is too good to be true. So they're not clicking it. So then I thought, what would a reporter write 
in their article. They're not going to write mostly that's a world's first kids podcast app. They don't have time to do the research. So they would probably write something like um, how to take kids off your phone and um, make best use of it. How to make your car trips with kids enjoyable. You know, once I started using these lines in the in the subject lines of the email, I started getting more responses from from the reporters. Oh, right. Okay. So what I'm learning from you here, which is fascinating, is almost write the the headline for the reporter, uh, which would grab their attention. And uh, ultimately, then they may actually use that in their own writing. Correct. And, and the problem, and I think everybody knows that. I think the problem is as a founder, when you're writing about your product, you are just too much into your head and you write it as if you're writing a feature product feature report, which is non-emotional. Um, so there needs to be some emotion in the headline. A world's first kids podcast app, even though it may be factually true, and actually it is in our case, it is not emotional. So my advice is to come up with a line which is emotional. All of us like those headlines, and I think the it's a best return on on the time on each side with those with those things. So in the few minutes we have left, you know, um, I, I do know. That, well, I mean, basically, this is a very genuine podcast, and we like to get to the raw truth of how hard the app business is. And I remember. When I first got into apps, I used to just go around telling everybody and they would say to me, oh, you must be a millionaire then. You're in the app business. You know, and uh, it has this perception that it's just so easy. You just go build an app, put it on the app store, and then you just watch your money coming in. It is uh, really hard, as I've found. Uh, do, you, do you find the app store really hard? In fact, how hard is it? It is damn hard. <laughs> the problem is there are just too many apps out there. So... And unfortunately, today, the only way to discover, the primary way to discover apps is on the App Store or the Play Store itself. So you have to invest in something called App Store optimization. Um, but in, in the world where we have so much limited time and we have given this time to apps like Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, in, in just sheer number of time or the number of minutes that you have in a day, you are trying to carve out a space in that time saying, hey, look, it makes sense for my app to be useful for you. That's really hard because people are spending whole lots of time on these other apps. And what you're telling them is uh, that you need to take out time from there and they need to start using your app. That's a very, very hard proposition, especially when you're competing with 10 other apps that may be doing something similar that you're doing. So even though it sounds uh, it may sound sexy to be in the apps business. Uh, people need to be aware that for consumer apps to become the, the likes of WhatsApp, Instagram, um, Snapchat, it is a lot of luck and, of course, product execution. So just don't go into this for the, the limelights or the successes that you see. Um, for consumer apps, building traction is hard. So just be prepared for that is my advice. And, uh, you know, you are um, doing a podcasting app and uh, I'm a podcaster. Uh, I just wondered, um, in what trends do you see then in podcasting? I was very interested when you said initially that there's only $300 million going into podcast advertising, whereas there's an $18 billion industry for radio. Do you see uh, that there is movement in the amount of money flowing into podcasting? There is some movement, though not to the pace that I would expect. Uh, and I think that's a problem of technology. So the reason it's 300 million 
and not a billion plus is because brand advertisers are still not embracing this medium. When brand advertisers spend money, you know, that's when you get the likes of Facebook. That's when you get the billion dollar plus market size. And for brand advertisers, they are looking for two things in my mind. Either it's scale that you get on television or radio, or you need precision, which is what the likes of Facebook and Google give them. Like I need moms who are between 20 and 30 living in this particular city who are doing this particular thing, which is what Facebook gives. The challenge with podcasts is our audience is not that big of like radio or TV. And nobody as of today has given the audience-based ad targeting uh, to the extent that what brand advertisers are looking for. Uh, and once that happens, I think things are going to change very, very quickly. But it has to happen from the technology side, how people are consuming their content. Um, and podcasters are struggling for monetization as well. And so th I believe this is the the tech platform that needs to solve that for both users and podcasters. Yeah. So how can uh, the Appster tribe listening to this um, best make use of, of your app? What, what sort of people are you know, you're looking for to download your app? So we, we have uh, two apps. Our, our, the latest app, Leela Kids Podcast app, is made for parents and kids. Uh, I have a four-year-old, and he likes to listen to stories before he sleeps. And we can do only so much justice with that. So uh, in our app, you know, you can just select the age category of the child. And there are different topics like science, dinosaurs, animals. We are adding something new as well, like meditation for kids. Uh, tech and gadgets, world war histories, and, you know, lots of different topics. So these are different parents and kids who can make use uh, of the app. So these are the kind of users that we're looking for. And we are actually looking for podcasters as well, because there are a few things that we are working on in our app is uh, some podcasters, as you know, raise money through Patreon. And we are building features in our app so that with a single click, users who really like a, a particular podcaster, they can donate it from within the app. They can message the particular podcaster on their Twitter, Facebook, whatever social media from within the app. So we are trying to bring all the workflows that user and podcaster want to have in the listening app itself instead of going out and probably not doing that. Well, that's a wonderful mission. I'm so glad you got into this space because we need more uh, you know, in innovation like that. Uh, Sandeep, it's been just a wonderful chat with you. I'm so inspired. And I wondered how best can people reach out to you? What is the best way of getting in touch? They can uh, email me. Uh, I think that's probably the best way. So my email is Sandeep. That's my first name. S-A-N-D-E-E-P as in Paul at leelalabs.com. So maybe that's the best way to, to reach me. Wonderful. And of course, there'll be full show notes. It's episode 534 of The App Guy. Just go to theappguy.co, theappguy.co. Sandeep, great, wonderful. Thanks for coming on the uh, App Guy podcast. And, and listen, all the best with this uh, project. Uh, I really wish you, because uh, uh, you, know, you sound like you've put a lot of effort and work in, and, and you're very knowledgeable in this space. So I'm sure it'll be a great success. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Paul. Glad to be here.